0: Brothers, if you would, open your Bibles to three different places, Matthew 28, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to tell you what we're doing this morning as we gather together as men, you know, if you, if you don't regularly attend FCF and you're visiting this morning, we're very glad to have you here with us and do hope that when you go back to your home church that what we see in Scripture this morning will be very beneficial for you when you go back to your home church. But the focus is for our brothers here who are part of this church family. And this morning is an introduction, so to speak, to what we will be doing at the men's retreat in May. Today is going to be a reminder for some of you, if you've been a Christian for any length of time. For others, what we're going to talk about this morning is going to be new information. It's going to be a new perspective. And for others of us, this is going to be a kick in the pants. And that's a good thing. And that's a good thing, by God's (laughs) grace. For all of us, My prayer has been that our time in the Word together is going to be motivating us for the sake of Jesus' name. So this is not a devotional. This is a sermon. This is a message. So, So sit tight. Here's why we've gathered this morning. We are men, and there is work for us to do, and that work is to be done by us. So I'm speaking to us men who belong to FCF, and you men who belong to other churches. There's work for you to do. When you think about Scripture, there's different metaphors that Scripture uses to define what it means for you to be a Christian. And some of these metaphors have built-in job descriptions. And these built-in job descriptions describe what we're supposed to be and do. And as you've already heard, this morning... Your biblical job description from Jesus Christ is to be a disciple maker. A disciple maker. To be an apprentice of Jesus who makes apprentices of Jesus. Now, if you've been a Christian any length of time, this is well-worn territory. We, we know this is biblically true. And so, on the one hand, this can be a crushing and oftentimes defeating biblical truth presented to us because we hear what we're supposed to do, but then if we're honest with ourselves and look at our track record, it doesn't seem or feel like we're actually doing that. So the intention this morning is to demystify discipleship and to add some perspectives on what it means to to be a disciple and make disciples that should be life-giving and encouraging. And I think in some ways unexpected and unlooked for. So this morning, we're going to look at your job description as a man in Christ to make disciples. So three texts before us, before I pray. There's many more texts that we can look at regarding discipleship. We're just going to anchor on these three. We'll look at them briefly as we spend our time together. Matthew 18, if you're not there, turn there in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 18 probably have this text memorized, or if you're new to Christ, this is going to be news to you, and this is a glorious truth. Jesus says in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen: Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. and Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And now flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Apostle Paul tells to his disciple Timothy, beginning in verse 1, You then, my child... "...be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who themselves will be able to teach others also. Share in in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus." No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Does the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. And lastly... The third leg of the stool this morning, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, simply reads, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are going to travel some well-worn texts of your word. They are good, they are true. Lord, we love to hear them. But Lord, we confess that we need your help, that we need your grace by your spirit to not only understand what your word says, but to do what your word says. We think of James who says not to be like the man who looks at his face in the mirror and turns away and forgets what he saw, not to look at your word and delight in it and then turn away and forget what we heard. Let us be doers of your word, not merely hearers only. So, Lord, help us. Help us think about what, what you're saying and why you're saying it. Help us think about our church family. Give us your hearts of love for your church family. And as men, let us be those servant leaders that you call us to be in every capacity you call us to be. So, Lord, we commit the remainder of this time into your hands. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brothers, as I said, there is work to do. You heard in these texts that there is work to do. There are commands from Jesus in Matthew 28 and from the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy and from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. There is work to do, and Jesus has a job for each of us. It's a job assignment not for other Christians. It's not a job assignment just for pastors or elders. This is a job assignment for all Christians, and this is a job assignment that will never be finished. You will never complete it. Or rather, Jesus will never complete it until he brings us all home. And your job assignment will not be, home, will not be done until your eyes are open and you see Jesus face to face. And that job is to be a biblical man who builds biblical men. That's the idea that I want us to capture in our minds this morning on understanding what discipleship is, or I'll say apprenticeship is, that we are to be biblical men who build biblical men. Now your job description in the Bible is much more than that, to be a Christian is much more than that, but that's our focus right now, discipling men, being a biblical man who builds biblical men. Now, why am I focusing on men? Is it just because this is a men's breakfast and so it's a it works out? Well, kind of. <laughs> but more than that, I am focusing on men because the Bible focuses on men. I am focusing on you men because God focuses on men, and I am focusing on men because Jesus focuses on men. It begins in the garden when he made Adam first, had Adam name all the animals, then name his wife Esha, woman, then rename her Eve after the fall, and holding Adam accountable for the whole human race, men bear the primary responsibility before the Lord in their homes as the heads of their wives and as the heads of their children to reflect Christ. Christ. To be Christ to their wife and Christ to their children. Self-sacrificing men. And so we, with the authority that God gives us, are accountable for our marriages, for our parenting, for your grandparenting, and more. And men bear the responsibility as servant leaders from God in the church. Only men are appointed to be pastor elders in the church and men in the church bear that responsibility of servant leadership why am i focusing on men because statistically the most attended day of church is mother's day and why am i focusing on men because statistically the least attended day of church is father's day it's father's day let's not go to church Why am I focusing on men? Because in Flagstaff Christian Fellowship, of our membership, roughly 56% of our membership are our sisters in Christ. Meaning 46% of this church is male, 56% is female. There are quite a few more women in this church than there are men in this church. I think that's a problem. Why am I focusing on men? Because this church will grow unhealthy, and this church will die without us. That's why. Because the responsibility and burden to share the love of Jesus Christ, to wrap towels around our waist, and lead this church in service, falls to us. Now this is not to deny, so don't miss here for a single moment, The essential, glorious, beautiful, valuable, needed, and necessary ministry of our sisters in Christ. No way does this denigrate that or deny that. But this is more so a call to us men that we have a responsibility from God. This church and all churches will rise and fall. This church will live and die because of the men in this church. Right here, you and me. There is work to do, and we must be biblical men who build biblical men, all to the glory of God and for the sake of eternity. That is, taking that mantle of responsibility and leadership that you have as an older man and discipling a younger man who's discipling a younger man, that intergenerational ministry. Intergenerational ministry. So again, think with me at 2 Timothy 2, if you're still there. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7, listen to these words again. You then, my child, a father in the faith is speaking to his son in the faith. Paul to Timothy. And listen to what this father in the faith tells his son in the faith. Be strengthened by grace. By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That is to say, the gospel of Jesus, Jesus' incarnation, His life in our place, His death on the cross for our sins, His burial, His resurrection three days later for our justification, His ascension into heaven, His session at the right hand of the throne of the Father and His promised return, the gospel of Jesus Christ taking our sins upon Himself, giving us His righteousness, that is what motivates a man to be strengthened. There's all sorts of cues that are given to us all throughout culture about what biblical masculinity is and he, or masculinity in general. But here in 2 Timothy 2.1, you, my child, be strengthened by the gospel, by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And that's what builds us as men. And so this father in the faith is telling his son in the faith to remind himself that his strength as a man will come only from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And verse 2 And this is our focus. What you've heard from me, Paul, to Timothy. What you've heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, you, Timothy, are to entrust to faithful men who themselves will be able to teach others also. And then he admonishes this young pastor. Share in suffering. Don't run from it, don't move out of it, don't necessarily seek it out, but share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And now the metaphor changes again. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And then the metaphor changes yet again It is the hardworking farmer who wants to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, brothers, if you look at these seven verses, there are riches to be had in these verses about the dedication and focus, the resilience and priority each of us is to have But look at verse 2. There are four generations of Christians there. Did you catch that? Four generations in 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul to Timothy. So Paul is one. Timothy is two. Then Timothy is to take what was passed on to him. His apprenticeship to Paul. Learning what Jesus teaches. Why Jesus teaches it. How Jesus intends to live, is, live it out. How Paul applies it to his life. Paul to Timothy. Then Timothy is to take those truths. And Timothy is to find not just one faithful man, but faithful men, plural. And he is to take what Paul taught him, Timothy is, and give to faithful men. That's three generations. And these faithful men, Timothy has been diligent to identify. Because these men will be able to then go to a fourth generation of entrusting to faithful men. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men to others who will be able to teach also. This is an example of a biblical man building biblical men. And you can see how Paul to Timothy, Timothy to multiple men, and then each of those multiple men to multiple men, how it grows slowly as the gospel of grace spreads through these men. Now it's true, 2 Timothy is a passage for pastors. That's true, that's who he's speaking to. But it has application to all men. And this 2 Timothy 2, 2 verse is parallel to what we read at the beginning in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, go make disciples, It's for all Christians. And here we see it narrowly applied in the life of a local church. But I believe... Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2 is a good, hat, good text to hang your hat on. Look at those other metaphors about how you're to think about your approach to your life as a Christian. And they beg a question, do you? Do you think this way? A good soldier, unentangled by civilian pursuits. What are your civilian pursuits? A crowned athlete competing according to the rules a hard-working farmer, all empowered and strengthened by the ever-present grace of Jesus Christ. Biblical men, building biblical men, is to be pursued as a soldier prepares for war. Biblical men, building biblical men, is to be pursued as a soldier prepares for war. And as an Olympic athlete, trains for the Olympics. As the farmer knurls his knuckles on soil and saddle. Is this you? You can take this day to think through what it looks like. How does a soldier prepare for war? Some of you do know that. An athlete competing for the crown. Some of you have experience in athletics and know the diligence and dedication. And some of you know what it is to work with soil and sit in a saddle. Unprepared soldiers get themselves and others captured and killed. Untrained athletes disqualify themselves or they would simply tap out. And the lazy farmer starves himself and his family. These brothers, you brothers, these word pictures depict how we're to think about being biblical men who, be, who build biblical men. In other words, it doesn't happen by random chance. It takes diligence and planning and focus to, like Paul, find and invest in other men who themselves will build other men. Soldier, athlete, farmer, describe the attitude, planning, and dedication, and diligence of building men who can build other men. So the question again is this, is this you? There's a couple of ways that you can go wrong with the idea of discipleship. Here's a perspective for you. How would you live if you knew Jesus was returning in one year? Not tomorrow, because you'd live differently if it was tomorrow. But if you saw it a year, you still need to put food on the table. You still need to do work. How would you live if you knew Jesus were coming back in one year? But also, if you knew Jesus was coming back in a hundred years. How would you plan your family life for generations to come? What decisions would you make? What do I mean? If you knew Jesus was coming back in a year, there would likely be a lot more fervor and focus in your life. Wouldn't there? Shouldn't there be? Yes. There's work to do. There's responsibilities. And so you're not going to play at life. You're going to be the farmer, soldier, and athlete obeying Jesus in the context that he has given you. But still, if you knew with one year to go, you still have to pay the bills. You still have to be responsible and still build men. But soldiers, athletes, and farmers, they play the long game. They prepare for the long haul. The soldier is thinking about safety for his children and grandchildren for generations to come. The farmer is preparing the animals and the land for generations to come. So these two ideas balance each other in our approach to discipleship, to our apprenticeship fervor on the one hand long game on the other so second timothy 2 2 is a strategic picture of four generations of biblical men building biblical men intentionally diligently and patiently and if you notice in that second timothy text he's not just saying if you're married and have kids you're kids he doesn't even refer to children there he's talking to timothy about building the church and by extension the men in the church building the church. Look with me at Matthew 28. Brothers, there's Q&A after this, so please think of questions. And also, as I said, this morning is an introduction to put the Bible before us. I'm going to have application that's pretty tight for us at the end, but I want to refresh your minds on what Scripture says for all of us. Matthew 28. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here is another text describing your marching orders. Indeed, this Matthew 28 is the chief text. You look at these words, there is only one command in this whole passage. Did you know that? Some of you know that. There is only one command in all the things that Jesus says here. And that command is found right there at the, in the middle of verse 19. And the command in these verses is this. Make disciples. That is the only command in this whole section of Scripture. All the other commanding sounding words are grammatical modifiers of a command. What does that mean? You'll see it. The command is this, make disciples. Go into all the earth, make disciples. The word disciple, we throw it around all the time, is a mixture of the idea of learner and follower it's what we called those early christians who follow and travel with jesus on the pages of the gospels and what we're still called today a disciple we learn from jesus through his word and we follow jesus as we apply his word to our lives and i think that word apprentice is very applicable apprentice what does he do he learns a trade by coming alongside a master tradesman watches what the tradesman does learns the skills Practices them, observes them. We are apprentices to Jesus. I've heard this silly saying or the silly idea that that this command in Matthew twenty-eight is to only the apostles, not to you and me. That's stupid. Here's why that's stupid. If this was only true for the apostles, Christianity would not have gone beyond the next generation. No, it's evident that this is a command to every Christian, man and woman. And it's, it's to all of us. So here's what this means. With all the responsibilities of your life, maybe it's school, work, maybe it's in your singleness, maybe it's in your marriage or your dating, maybe it's with your family or your extended family and grandchildren and beyond, you have all of these spheres in your life of responsibility, but in Matthew 28, your entire life is to be undergirded and overlaid with Christ's command to you to make disciples. There is a lot more to your life than that, but it is never less than that. We are supposed to view our lives, school, work, singleness, dating, marriage, family, grandchildren, and beyond, as your task is to make disciples. How? How? Well, Jesus tells us here in Matthew 28, with those three other words that modify or explain discipleship, they are the words go, baptize, and teach to obey. Go means as you go, as in as you intentionally go about school, As you intentionally go about your day, as you intentionally go about work, as you intentionally go about friendships and hobbies and more, as you go about uh, how you're going to plan to spend your time, as you go means being a biblical man who builds biblical men is an ongoing, unending, moment-by-moment reality of your life. Again, is it? Yes, there's Sabbath. Yes, there's rest. Yes, there's other relationships. Yes, there's more. But it's not less than this. We always have that eye to discipleship on. So first you're going. That means you're intentional and thoughtful to make disciples. And you're going. And in this case, Jesus' implication is that you're looking for men that you can mentor. Men that you can apprentice. Men that you can disciple. Now, the next word here, then, is go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, going into all the world, making diligent effort to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth to unreached people groups and across the street to your next door neighbor and everything in between. But you have go, and then the next uh, modifying word is baptize. When Jesus says go and baptize, there's an assumption, isn't there? between going and baptizing. Can you see what the assumption is? Is he literally saying, step one, go, see a man, grab him, and dunk him? Is that that what we're supposed to do? No, the assumption is evangelism. Jesus, as we're going about your daily life and planning how you're going to live, to baptize a person first means that man has been evangelized. You opened your mouth and spoke the gospel of Jesus' death for our sins and resurrection for our justification and that guy believed that message. That guy renounced his sin, repented of his sin and turned to Christ and follows Jesus. What do you do with a baby? You pick them up and you hold them and you care for them. And so, regardless of the age of this man, whether he's seven or 70, your task is to help this spiritually immature and young person, young man, young old man, to take his next steps in Christ. And so, what happens next, biblically, in the flow of the Bible, when someone repents and believes, you get baptized. Why? Because baptism is going public with your faith, and it's going public. Before the local church. The context of baptism normally, regularly, the normal perspective is it's, it's the local church. Go, baptize. So this guy gets baptized in the church. So brothers, when Jesus is saying go and baptize, the admonition to you is to be diligent and be ready. Be prepared to share, speak, and preach the gospel. No Bible verses. Memorize them. John three sixteen, Romans three twenty three and twenty four. Just read your Bible. Uh, one of the benefits of a daily Bible intake, whether you're listening to the Bible while you're driving to work or getting up and reading the Bible for morning devotions or a mixture thereof, is what the Lord speaks to you in His Word through His Word that day is a word that you can use that day on a lunch break with a coworker or a fitly spoken word to uh, someone at the gym or whatever it is. Some of you know that I used to co-own and operate a CrossFit gym up in in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, One day this happened to me. It was entirely unlooked for. It was a profound moment. It was after class. I was warming up at the squat rack. There was a guy lingering afterwards, and I was getting annoyed because I had some sets to do, and he wanted to come up and ask me a question about protein. And then, two and a half hours later, We were both in tears. He had repented and believed in Jesus, and he was driving to get an ESV study Bible. Praise the Lord. And then we began to meet after class to read the Bible. And then he started to come to church. Now, that's not a regular occurrence in my life, but that's one of those occurrences where it was entirely unlooked for. Most of us tend to think of evangelism as only that cold turkey street evangelism. It includes that. But we must also put our attention to the network of relationships that are already pre-existing in your life. The people in the classroom, the people in the gym, the people in whatever you do, the people that you work with in your home, and more. We look to see who Jesus has put around us for the sake of discipleship. So we go, we evangelize, the church baptizes, and then Jesus ends by saying, Teach them to observe. Teach them to obey. Teach them to know and to follow Jesus. So your responsibility from Jesus to make disciples includes you apprenticing them in the Bible. So you need brothers to be biblical men. And I use the phrase biblical men meaning that you have eaten the Bible and in a sword fight, if cut, you would bleed Bible. That this is the instruction manual of your life. You should know this better than ESPN, Fox News, or if you're now anti-Fox News, whatever your news source is. Whatever you are most passionate about, hunting, athletics, whatever your deal is, and we should do those deals to the glory of God, This, my brothers, is the book. This is the word that God has given to us to be biblical men. And so when we eat the book, we can speak with the book's accent, which is a gospel accent, and we are ready to speak to others. This does not mean that you need to go get a seminary degree. This does not mean any of those things. But it means that you need to be a man who's growing in the word, which means you're a man who is characterized by Sitting under the word. More on that in a little bit. Because discipleship we're going to see. Is as much for us. And our personal discipleship. As for the men that we disciple. And now here we take a turn. You hear all this. These scriptures. As I have in the past. And you think. I know. The, the Bible says to do it. I, I'd like to do this. But, but no one ever did this for me. Or, I haven't done this up to this point in my life. Or, I don't know the Bible well. Or, or, I can't. Brothers, take heart. Jesus gives you the grace to be able to obey what he says and gives you the opportunity to obey what he says. So with the remainder of our time, I want to give you a new biblical perspective or maybe a renewed biblical perspective that I hope will strengthen your resolve to both be a biblical man who, by God's grace, can build biblical men. We tend to, at least in my experience, when you have this conversation of discipleship, we think of one of two things. Either A... Sit exclusively in a classroom, take a 12-week class, read this book, discipleship done, here's your certificate. It can include that, but that's not discipleship in its fullness. The other extreme is to say, let's hang out. We're going to go on a hunting trip together. We're going to go on a hike together. We're going to go walk around together, and we're just going to talk. And, but the thing is, you kind of do life together, but the person absent from those conversations is Jesus, and his word. Those are two extremes. But there needs to be life. And life. And there needs to be education. It was clear. Teach them to observe. There's a, in, a priority to imparting knowledge to others. But there's a missing piece to Matthew 28. There's a missing piece. Do you know what it is? Jesus, I believe, assumes this piece but it's overlooked. The missing piece to being a biblical man who builds biblical men, to missing piece to going and making disciples is the local church. The local church. It's the church. Why do I say that? You're reading your Bible. Look at where we are. We are in the Gospels. The church has not been born yet. And the unfolding story of redemptive history Jesus, in all four gospel accounts, only mentions the word church three times. He does so in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. And then now here we are in Matthew 28. And so what can happen and what has happened is we divorce Matthew 28, the idea of evangelism and discipleship, from the local church. So we functionally operate as if your evangelism and your discipleship happens outside these walls. And somehow, maybe the church is a footnote or something like that to it. So just as evangelism is assumed between go and baptized, Jesus' assumed context for making disciples is the local church. So it may be that you obey Matthew 28, You go into an unreached people group, you preach the gospel, you make disciples, and then what happens? A church is born. And now that church becomes the uh, haven and home base and headquarters for discipleship to take place as that church is built. You can't forget the local church. Why am I pointing this out? Because you begin to stress out because you think, as I have, and many do, that discipleship is exclusively and solely dependent upon you. We make it an isolated, independent, autonomous affair of evangelism and discipleship, and the church is forgotten. You can go and grab 20 books that are going to give you tips and techniques on discipleship. You can even consider and search into much of the state of global missions and when you talk about evangelism and discipleship what's missing is the local church in all her health and beauty rarely are evangelism and discipleship rooted in centered upon shaped by and empowered by the local church brothers don't forget the church the local church is central and essential to fulfilling jesus's command to make disciples do you know why for you to obey jesus To build biblical men is a together project of the other men and women in the local church. It's something we do together. Here's a punchline for you. In other words, it takes a whole church to make a whole Christian. It takes a whole church to make a whole Christian. And here's where the application and your commission to leave and obey this comes in. This is what it means for you to be a biblical man who builds biblical men. You say to any man who's willing, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be an imitator of me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ and let that person follow you right into this church. Jesus' plan for discipleship is the local church. Jesus' plan for discipleship and Flagstaff is FCF and other gospel-preaching churches. Consider how simple and strategic Jesus has made this for you so you can actually do this. If you take one thing from this, this is what I want you to take. FCF and her ministries are the means and method of your personal discipleship as a biblical man and those you are discipling to be biblical men the local church is the means and method the local church are the tools in your tool belt for you to obey matthew 28 and make disciples every christian's personal discipleship to jesus and discipleship of others is interdependent with a healthy local church Why? Because in the Bible, the local church is God's plan A for the world. In the book of Acts, missions is church planting. The gospel goes out, churches are planted, the gospel goes out, churches are planted, they circle back and they strengthen planted churches. The local church is God's plan A for the world, there is no plan B. So let's apply this practically. How do you apply this practically? You're to be a biblical man who builds biblical men. And that might intimidate you. But now you learn that discipleship is not dependent upon you to get a seminary degree and write a curriculum and a plan and to do these different things. That It can involve those things, actually. But what you see is this. First, think about a guy. Maybe two guys you already know. Maybe the young believers in the faith. And and go to one of them, go to two of them, and invite them to grab one or two other guys. You have a small group, one, two, three, four more guys. You get a small group of men for discipleship. Why am I saying that? Paul told Timothy, in the plural, to entrust to faithful men. And Jesus, he's our model of discipleship. Jesus was not just a one-on-one guy going down to Starbucks. Jesus had concentric circles. He had the multitudes, the mixed multitudes. Jesus had the 120, the 70, the 12, the 3, and the 1. Yes, Peter was the 1, but when you look through the gospel accounts, it's the 12 and the 3 that got the majority of Christ's time, not just Peter. In these concentric circles, Jesus gave increasing access, time, and teaching, and opportunity as the group got smaller. Discipleship is always a group project. So you've you've identified one guy. Maybe this guy says, no, I don't have time. Another guy says, I don't have time. But maybe you get a group of guys together, and then here's what you can tell them. Guys, for the next six weeks, make it time-bound. For the next six weeks, the next six months, set a parameter on it. Just make it time-bound and renewable if you want. And here's what you do. Here is the magic secret to making disciples you say we're going to sit next to each other at church on sunday and we're going to be side by side praying singing sitting under the word preached communing with the lord to one another greeting others you tell these guys for the next six weeks we're going to sit together at church you're going to take notes learn to take notes on the sermon, pay attention to the songs sung. We're then gonna go to adult Sunday school together and we're gonna take notes and we're gonna listen to what is taught. Maybe we're gonna go to Wednesday nights and be equipped there. Maybe it's all of them, maybe it's one of them, maybe it's two of them. And then here's what we're gonna do. Here's your discipleship. We're gonna meet once a week, once every two weeks, And we're gonna talk about what was preached we're gonna talk about what was taught we're going to answer questions we're going to encourage each other we're going to think about the singing we're gonna think about the sermon we're gonna think about the praying we're gonna think about the teaching and then we're going to help each other apply that to each other's lives do you see that that means that it doesn't depend upon you to develop a curriculum Jesus' wisdom is the curriculum is already in place. It's called the teaching ministry of the local church. You sit under the word preached, then you go talk about the word preached, and let that word preached reverberate amongst your small group of men. It's that simple. That's why the church has her teaching ministries. That's why we have these things in place. More than that, you can say, you know what, come to my home fellowship, that I lead or that I attend this year for the next nine months. For the next nine months. Because you want to see this younger man interact with other women. Maybe his wife and his children and other Christians. And you want him to see you interact intergenerationally and with other people in the church. And to have life on life together in that context, in the context of word-based relationships. Maybe you plan a mission trip together. Maybe you're going to plan and read a book of the Bible together. We're going to meet for 16 weeks. We're going to do one chapter of Romans a week, and we're going to read the whole entire book. But use the local church. It's not complex. Brothers, that's the simplicity of making disciples. So maybe you have the joy and privilege of seeing a co-worker converted, and you bring him to church, and then you sit together, and then you say, do you understand what you heard? I don't understand anything I heard. Good, let me help you understand. And most of all, where you're, not most of all, also where you serve, right? Because you're a Christian and you're a body part of the body of Christ and the local body of Christ here, which means every single one of us is serving in some capacity, right? Right? And part of discipleship, part of that apprenticeship is learning the trade of your service in this church so that if you're to walk out the doors and die, your ministry would not die with you. So that's the intergenerational aspect of church ministry. I hope that you can see that being a biblical man who builds biblical men is with other men and women in this church. You may see something that this young man is struggling with or this younger man. This younger man in his 50s might be struggling with at this point in his marriage. And you as an older man can, can know other older man and say, you know what, this guy needs to hear the testimony of this man and what he went through. And so you grab a guy from the church and say, hey, sit down for coffee with us and, and, and listen to this man's testimony of what he experienced because he went through what you're kind of going through. You use the body of Christ for these purposes. It could be, hey, the men's retreat is coming up. This is important and good. Let's cabin together. We're going to spend the entire time together. Things like that. So don't think of your making disciples as solely outside the church. It actually happens in the church. It takes all the gifts and all the ministries and all the people of a local church to build healthy and whole Christians. So for you to be a biblical man who builds biblical men... Your tool belt is Flagstaff Christian Fellowship. In other words, be a good soldier. Be a disciplined athlete. Be a hardworking farmer. Be able to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And brother, you might be coming under the conviction of the Lord to say, I don't know if I can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So you know what you need to do? Find someone that you'd like to imitate who imitates Christ. And ask them to help you imitate that's called discipleship part of the chief pillar of being a man a chief pillar of masculinity is humility and teachableness those are hallmarks of biblical manhood humility and teachableness and so if you just can't get it right with your wife if your fathering is more characterized by anger than love, if you find that the Bible is unattractive to you, but everything else is, go to a man who you see is following Christ in ways in a, and has a, a marriage that, from it's imperfect, but from the outside, you You'd like, you love the way that he treats his wife because you actually are close enough with him to know how he treats his wife and speaks to his wife or his kids or his friends or his singleness or how this guy approached dating and ask him, How and why do you do that? It's discipleship. It's discipleship. If you're younger, you need discipling, you need a gospel coach. There is never a point in the Christian life where you don't need gospel coaches. Yes, we mature and we become, bro- well, we're always brothers, but there comes a point where uh, disciple and Disciple Lee kind of get on that same plane and still sort of need each other. But there's younger men in particular who is apprenticing you. If you're younger, you need a gospel coach to help you understand and embrace the Christian life. You've been married for one year, 10 years, 20 years. You have a lot to learn and more. What is the cost, brothers, if we don't do this? What is the cost if you don't do this? Is Christianity, is this a country club? Some people treat it like it is come and sort of serve the way I want to, because that's actually not services. Volunteerism is serving on my own terms and my own ways, without a towel around my waist. Serving like Christ is putting a towel on the waist. I don't feel like going to church today. Do we treat this as a pick and choose thing, or do we view the church the way Jesus does, as central and essential to the Christian life? Our sisters in Christ are what's at cost. Our wives are our children, generations to follow and suffer because of our faithlessness if we don't obey Jesus. Christ is building his kingdom to be sure, but let it not be said that he built the church in spite of us. Let it be said that he built the church because of us. Those of you who have lived in this town for a long time know that churches have come and gone in Flagstaff. There are dead churches who are buried in this land. And those of you who have come from other places, especially cities, know that there are dead churches. That those churches, their lamp and light went out. Why? Because, at the heart, they stopped being humble and teachable in Christ and stopped enacting Matthew 28. We live in a day and age that views masculinity as toxic. It's bad to be a man. There are generations behind us who are being indoctrinated that men are bad. And there's young men behind us that are taking their cues of what it means to be a man from TikTok and Instagram and the culture around them. God's good gift of sexuality and marriage is perverted and twisted. Young men don't even know if they should be a man, and maybe they're going to decide to be a woman or something else. They're confused and broken. Satan's having a heyday. Whose responsibility is to tell the truth? Who has the truth? You do. You do. We do. Young brothers, one of the most masculine things that you can do is to get out of bed, bring your family to church, hold their hands as you lead them in prayer, and let them see you lift your hands in worship. That's a masculine thing. That's manly. That's manly. Seek out older men, young men, who know the Bible better than you. Let them speak the Bible into your life. Read the Bible together. Watch how they walk with Jesus and their marriage and their parenting and their grandparenting and more, their singleness. Listen to them. Let them challenge you. They know more than you. And they have lived longer than you. And you need to let other younger men see you join that so they too want to be discipled. And older men... Fathers in the faith. In our church, 28% of our congregation is 65 and older. 28%. It's a very large percentage of our church family. Older men, we need you. Do not retire from Christianity. Roll up your sleeves in your retirement and get to work, please, please. Don't squander your retirement. Don't waste your long life in Christ. Invest the remainder of your life in still growing as a biblical man and building biblical men. Put a towel on your waist, please, fathers, and serve this church and show young men how it's done. And I praise God, there are many men who do that. What attracted me to this church was the older men in this church and the college across the street and actually a lot of other things. But the older men, because here's what happens. Here's what's happened in the last 30 years of the church with the rise of church planting, which is my background and experience, is that you get an old guy who's 28, And he goes and plants a church who is all 18 and all the young people are there but it's a really good exercise in pooled ignorance because there isn't the longevity of walking with Christ. But the flip side is that you have older churches that are characterized as only filled with senior saints who don't know how or don't think to come down to the younger men and raise them up. The older saints are intimidated, the younger saints are intimidated, the young guys think they know everything and they don't, obviously. We need you. We need you. God did not give you a gray-headed crown for nothing, right? We need you, brothers. And in closing, there's a verse that I skipped. It's Matthew 28:18. It's the first verse, and it's this. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go march. How much authority does Jesus have? All of it. All of it. That means, dear brothers, that as to be a biblical man who builds biblical men with other biblical men, your task will succeed because it doesn't depend upon you. You have to be faithful. But Jesus is the one that bears fruit. You cannot manufacture fruit. Be faithful. Let Jesus bear that fruit. And you need the church. It's together. We can only build men together. There's the gifts and strengths that I have. The gifts and strengths that you have. And it's together in this soil that we can pot young believers that they might grow up to be oaks of righteousness. Brothers, there is work to do there's men to be built there are the lost to be saved there are jesus has assigned it to us and that work is intentionally building biblical men together in and with this church we do it for the men we do it for our sisters we do it for the young we do it for the old and should jesus tarry a hundred years that this church We'll still be here a hundred years from now instead of me one day taking the keys and handing them to another church planter because we died. Let it not be said of us that this church's lamp was put out because of us. By God's grace, let us be found faithful for Jesus to make us fruitful for his glory to see this church continue to be built until he brings us home. Amen? Lord, we need you. We are your adopted sons, Father. We are image bearers of Christ being made into his image. Lord, we thank you that the gift of your spirit and your word and the gift of the body of Christ equips us to be obedient and make disciples. Lord, help us do that, we pray. In Jesus' good name. And everyone said, Amen.